This is Thanksgiving season. So let's sing Thanksgiving hymns whenever we can this month. Number 18. This is an older song. If you look at the top left, you'll see the, the date, the dates of the author's birth and death. 1586, 1649. This man lived quite a while ago, and most of his life was spent in persecution by his government. Uh, lived a very uh, troubled life because of that. He would not compromise what he believed. He would not stop preaching the word of God. And because of that, he was persecuted. But look at these lyrics. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom his world rejoices. Mm. Let's sing these good words written by Martin Rinkart. <laughs> now thank we all our God. Number 18. <laughs> Kristen needs to play. Kristen needs to play. Kristen needs to play. 
I don't know the history behind this song, but it looks like we have a German behind this too. Look at his name. August Ludwig Storm. <laughs> That's the only thing we cannot agree with. <laughs> All right, it's a good song. Uh, uh, these good songs remind you about uh, the Lord and the Bible. And uh, a church ought to have good songs in their congregational singing. Sometimes churches like to be more contemporary, and in doing so, sometimes the old songs are forgotten. And uh, we need to uh, be appreciative of the good songs in the hymn book. The old songs come to the book of First Corinthians, chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter 9. This is part 2, beginning uh, and uh, concluding, I hope, from last Wednesday about First Corinthians chapter 9. We'll read the passage again, and then I'd like to say something about this section of Scripture 
And the intent tonight is to help us read the scriptures and learn what the scriptures are saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Wisdom and witnessing, this is part two, and about being all things to all men, what it does not mean. First Corinthians chapter nine, let's see verse number 19. Verse number 19, 20, 21, and 22, and 23. I'll read the verses, and you follow with me, please, and then we'll go back and try to um, understand what the Bible is saying. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more, and unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. 22. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And so in these verses, I mentioned by review last week that he is free from all men. Now, free from all men goes back to verse number one, which says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? So when it says he is free, uh, he is free from many things. He's free from the obligation of men, He's not under the obligation or under the authority of any man or denomination or church. He's called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he is free. He is free. And he's free to preach the gospel. And he preaches the gospel to everyone that he can preach the gospel to. Anyone who will listen to him, he'll preach to. He'll preach to the Jew. And unto the Jew, he becomes as a Jew. He understands their, their culture. He understands their religion. He can communicate with them. To those who are without the law, he can communicate with them as well. And to those who are uh, weak, he can communicate with them. And he tries very hard to communicate with them by uh, identifying with them, by being sympathetic to them, by understanding and having compassion. He doesn't just come out there and preach the fire out of them. Sometimes people are so zealous to be a witness, they will disregard the, the feelings of others. They will disregard a person's background. And they're just charged like a rhinoceros or uh, like a wild animal into something as if they are a target or a prey. But Paul didn't have that. He had a feeling of consideration, compassion, care, and uh, thoughtfulness toward people. And so his purpose was, of course, to win people to Christ. And so he wanted to give them the gospel so that they would have a chance to receive Christ as their Savior. And that's why he says, I identify with each group of people, and I am concerned of their feelings, where they came from, and I want to get an open door with them. I want to be acceptable to them uh, by my being a gentleman and my being kind to them and so on. He hopes to have a hearing with them. And so that's what he's trying to do. Now, the ability to adjust to his audience, the Apostle Paul, he was very flexible. He was very flexible. He wasn't stiff, rigid, sitting the same way all the time to everybody. He was flexible. And so to the old, he would speak in a respectful, kind way to them. With understanding to the middle-aged person, he would talk in a certain way. To the children, he talked a certain way. And so he would adjust how he talked to people, but never adjust the gospel, never change the gospel, but always try to talk to people at their level so that they can understand the gospel. Uh, one time, Brennan McGee, who was on the radio quite a while, he said, uh, we, his program, put the cookie on the low shelf so that people can get to it. He said, the gospel is for 
it's not for giraffes, but it's for rabbits or something like that, where you don't have to be tall to reach it or tall to reach to those, but it's on the lower shelf for everyone to get. And so the Apostle Paul had the ability to adjust to his audiences, Jew, Gentile, no matter who they were. He was able to be sensitive and considerate to each group's background and context. And so he became all things to all men. And so um, when I think about this passage, I think about one man in the Old Testament who confronted another man. This is a very scary situation because the man who confronted another man had to be very careful how he talked to him. Because if he had said something wrong to this one man, if he had approached him with a disrespectful attitude, that man he was talking to had the right to execute him. If he had treated that man with disrespect or offended him unnecessarily, who is this man that he was talking to? Well, who is that man who was talking to this other man whom he had to be very careful with? Would you like, would you like to know who that was? I'll give you a clue. First Samuel, First Samuel, and I want you to turn there because I want you to see tonight this not exciting but intriguing story about a man who was careful how he spoke to this man and how he was thoughtful and considerate about whom he was speaking to. And because he was, he got through to him and something good was accomplished. First Samuel chapter 12. First Samuel, it is before Second Samuel. First Samuel chapter twelve, verse one. Uh, you know what? Who can I blame but a left-handed keyboard? <laughs> Second Samuel. Thank you, Nathan. Very good, very tactful. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 12. Now we'll take time to read this short 13 verses. So please follow in your Bible and mark verses, mark words. It is important and it's good for you to mark your Bible. First Samuel 12, Second Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him, and he said unto him, Notice the way David was approached by the prophet Nathan. And he came unto him, and said unto him, There were two men in the city, in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Now you have to imagine what he is writing here, what the parable was to the king. Verse 2, The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. This is a very affectionate portrayal of a man and his relationship to a simple animal. Verse four, there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So the rich man had a lot of lambs, and instead of using one of his lambs for a meal for to show hospitality, he did something else instead. He took, verse 5, uh, he took the poor man's lamb. He only had one, 
He took the poor man's land and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. Okay, hospitality wasn't wrong, but he took a man's only lamb, killed it, prepared it, cooked it, gave it to the host, I gave it to the guest. Now, verse 5, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, against the rich man. And he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall be, shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now watch carefully. That parable, that story, was for a reason. Verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. In other words, you are that rich man who took one poor man's lamb, the only one that he had, and killed it. Whereas you, the point is, David was the one he was talking about, and the parable was to emphasize that to him. But watch what happens here. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Watch carefully. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives unto thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had not been too little, uh, I would have more given unto thee such as such things. Verse 9, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? And I was killed, Uriah the Hittite, with the sword. And has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword and the children of Ammon. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword shall not depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken his the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Verse 11. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wife before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of all of this son. Verse 12. For thou hast done, uh, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. Verse 13. Watch, watch, watch. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Think, would David have come to that conclusion? Would David have said, verse 13, I have sinned, if the approach of Nathan was different? If Nathan had come up to David the king and said, Your Majesty, you have sinned. Well, he did. But would David have received that rebuke? No. Because he's the king and he would have put up his defenses and he would have denied doing that. Or he would have said, How dare you accuse me, your king, of such a crime, such a sin? He would have reacted like that. So the lesson to learn is that Nathan the prophet was very wise in his treatment of the king's sin. Uh, he had to be careful who he's talking to. The position of the person was the king. Uh, had to consider the problem. Uh, adultery, sensitive, sensational, explosive. And Nathan had to consider how to get the king to accept the truth. So he approached him with, uh, he became all things to all men. The king had to be approached in a certain way for the king to accept the thing of accusation and truth. Now, listen to this first. 1 Timothy 5.1 says this, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Well, this is in principle what he has done. He entreated him as a father, didn't accuse him of something uh, out of disrespect, but he had to tell him the truth. But the truth, the truth is still the truth, but he said it in such a, in a, in a right way that the king accepted it. Once he saw himself, he, he oh, he was so righteously indignant at the parable, the rich man. He was so wrong. How dare he? And then he said, Thou art the man. Mm -hmm. 
His timing was so good. Nathan's timing was so so right, so proper, with respect and consideration, the king saw himself. He looked in the mirror and said, and David said, the prophet said, Thou art the man to David. David said, Oh. Right, you're right. So this is an example from the Old Testament about a man who uh, used wisdom to confront another man. Now you can understand, you can appreciate, I hope, that in modern times, when it comes to confronting someone, the person who confronts another could be totally within his right to address something wrong that was done by this person. But he'd never get anywhere because that person would be defensive. And he'd make all kinds of excuses up and eventually he'd confess. But this prophet Nathan was so wise and so careful to address him with respect, still um, had to be truthful. The truth to be accepted was the point. And the truth was accepted because the man was careful in how he treated him. He became all things to all men. Now he did not compromise what God told him, what went wrong, but he had to be careful not to get his head chopped off unnecessarily. Now, I want you to come to Matthew chapter 18. Come back to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 18. Here's another example of being careful and wise in confrontation. And this all ties into what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how he became all things to all men. And I want you to see so far that it is not wrong, it's absolutely right and wise to be careful how you say what you say, especially when it comes to giving the gospel to people. Matthew chapter 18, he was talking to the king, the prophet was to King David, and uh, he could not say, bless God, if the truth hurts, let it hurt. Bless God, uh, I'll tell the truth, let the chips fall where they may. With that attitude, off with his head. What would that have accomplished? Nothing but his own death, and the king not have repented. So, Matthew 18 is another example in a different way about being considerate and careful about the issue at hand and the objective is to make things right. So Matthew 18, verse number 15. You may be familiar, familiar with this. 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault and the whole world. <laughs> Tweet it out. <laughs> Send a, let the whole internet world know. No. It says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Why? Why would this person, why would the Lord say, confront an offending brother personally first and not make a big deal about it in the first place? It says in verse 15, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now that's consideration. That is thoughtfulness and sympathy for the person who is at fault. Confront him privately. If he repents, then you've gained your brother. It doesn't have to go any further. But then, of course, it progresses to a public rebuke and a public shame. And sometimes it comes to that because there's someone in denial about a problem. And so that's to just say that uh, you need to use some wisdom in witnessing, some wisdom spreading it abroad to uh, confronting people about matters. And so uh, the point was to get David... The point is to get this sinning brother, Matthew 18, to repent and to be reconciled. That's the point. And so 
be careful. We should be careful not to, uh, if we're, we're sure something is wrong and this person is really wrong, if we're sure about that, we need to be careful that we don't make things worse. Make things worse, unnecessarily worse. So the principle is in verse 15 through 18, personal, bringing down the witness. If that person is rebellious and, 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 and uh, is just denying, but it's a fact, it's not a rumor, it's a fact, then uh, it has to go to the place where he is brought before the church and it is made known now. Well, that's going to be shameful. It's going to be a bad testimony for the whole church and for everyone, especially for that gentleman or that woman. And so if it comes to that, it's because the man who could have repented probably did not. And he's in denial. So sometimes it comes to that, which is a very hurtful thing for everyone, not just for the sinning party. And so the thing you want to learn about that so far is that uh, there is some wisdom in dealing with people personally uh, about, say, specifically according to Paul, salvation. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 now because we need to go back to this passage and try to dissect about the potential problem with how become all things to all men. Did Paul really mean that he compromised the gospel to get along with people? Did Paul mean that uh, all things to all means all men meant that he would do anything to bring the gospel to people so they would accept it. The problem potentially is that people take this passage to mean I would do anything under the sun to get people saved because Paul said here uh, this I do for the gospel's sake that I might gain the more. So they're saying okay that is Paul's goal. Therefore our goal as Christians in the New Testament to get people saved in our zeal would do everything possible to see people come to Christ. Now stop and think that with me. Is that a good way of thinking about this passage? We'll do anything possible to see people get saved. Is that legitimate? Or is it somewhat of an abuse of what Paul is saying here? I hope you understand he's not saying, uh, I hope you see that he is saying, I will deal with people in a certain way according to who I'm talking to. There's no compromise in the gospel, the truth of the gospel, but I will get down on my knees to talk to a young person. I'll stand up to a teenager and, and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. I'll talk to a prisoner. I'll talk to a free man. I'll talk to someone in the marketplace in a certain way. I'll talk to the fisherman. I'll talk to the carpenter. I'll use terminology that the carpenter understands. I'll talk about Billington. When it comes to uh, an athlete, I'll talk about the Olympics of his time. And the Greek games was very popular in his time when he wrote this, as we shall see. He says, when I talk to someone who's interested in his body and building muscles and things, you know, like me, then nobody gets my jokes anymore. <laughs> they used to, but uh, if I'm talking to someone that's very conscious about their looks, their hair, their skin, then I will be, I'll pick up a conclusion. I'll, I'll approach him in a certain way. If I'm talking to a, an MD, I'll talk about different things, how the body, you know, if I'm talking to an astronomer, I'm talking to someone who likes bugs, talking to someone who likes uh, food, then I'll adjust and get an opening with them. I'll use that as an open door. And so that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about doing things that are wrong to do good. He's not saying uh, the end justifies the means. He's not being, the word is pragmatic. So there's a danger for people to think that's what he's talking about. Do anything for the sake of the gospel. Well, he wants people to get saved, but should you, as an example, attract a lot of people to in event or to a church by saying, okay, 
when you go knocking on doors, invite people to come to church, tell them on this particular Sunday, tomorrow, that we're gonna have all those guys. Uh, if you bring 10 visitors, then the one who's the youth guy, he's gonna swallow goldfish. Okay, now that has happened. Yeah. I've seen it. I didn't do it. <laughs> and uh, that's as bad as eating cold spam out of the can. That is not good. It's almost like eating, well, I won't say anymore, but come for a spectacular event, a spectacular show, or come for something dramatic, uh, you know, and then uh, then we'll give them the gospel. So we'll draw them in by some spectacular thing, maybe some rock concert or some, you know, like that. And so that people will come to see that and then we'll slip in the gospel. So the end, say, it's a justified the means, the activity, the, the different things like that. So is that good or bad? We'll have, we'll have people come in uh, that are not, say, play musical instruments because that'll attract people. We'll have people from, um, oh, whatever type of music you like. We'll bring them in, bring some celebrities in. We'll have them talk about their life, have an interview, and uh, so that when they come, people come, then we'll slip in the gospel. Is that uh, something that is a good thing to do? It's kind of, you know, like, kind of like depends on who's going to do it. Um, should we, one time a church had, in a large church, a pastor came down from the ceiling on a cable, like Mary Poppins. <laughs> Dramatic effect. All kind of things go on. One time a pastor, uh, he was on a rooftop or somewhere in Texas, and he was a bed. He and his wife were sitting in a bed. He's going to talk about um, married life by having that over there to get people's attention. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, what's, uh, what are we doing here? Uh, and then people have um, contemporary stuff, contemporary music, uh, very non, uh, I mean, very worldly kind of stuff to attract people. Okay, so they're doing that, I think. Let me just give the benefit of the doubt to them, saying that they really want people to get saved. Maybe that is the case. But can that be justified by what Paul is saying over here? I hope you see that's not what he intends to do. It's like saying, I'm going to go to Korea Moku Street. Uh, it is no longer Korea Moku Street because of all the construction going on there. So it's been changed now. But once upon a time, Korea Moku Street was full of Korean bars. There are still some around on the side streets, but not as many as before. But on Korea Moku Street, a lot of these bars. And would you say that you want people in the bars to get saved too? Okay, sure. So would you and I go to a bar and... Um, witness to people in a bar or even how about this let's really let's really become one of them and identify with them by actually ordering a drink at the bar what do you have mister well I'm gonna have a I don't know I don't know what you call it I know that there's beer there maybe not light beer <laughs> but I don't know what you I don't know what you would order for a drink well, I'm pretty ignorant about that thankfully I'm glad I don't I've never drunk, you know, don't need to, but, uh, and then they smoke in there. Would you go in there and smoke and drink just to witness to somebody? I'm just going to be one of them, you know, and order drinks and drink with them, watch football game, you know, watch Dallas get crushed by the Castle High School team. And, uh, you know, we're just going to, I'm going to be one of them. I want to identify with them so that I can become their pal so I can give them the gospel. Would you do that? You can use that scenario into many other scenarios which would be very wrong to do so that's not what Paul is saying he's not saying be like the world to 
to, to win the world. He's not saying that. I think you are clear about what he means by that. Okay, Brandon, you were saying something. You were trying to say something. I wouldn't let 21. you, but not let you. Oh, sorry. Verse 21. Verse 21. What's verse 21 say? It's got that little parenthetical insert there. That yeah. answers the whole question. <laughs> yeah. And, but the end of the chapter also answers that question too. So you don't do wrong to do right. You don't compromise what is moral to 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 win someone who's not. You don't become immoral to win those who are immoral. Um, I don't want to give you a visual, imaginary visual, but um, you you just can't do some things to identify people. Um, so that you can have a chance to give them the gospel. Some things you just cannot breach. Some things you just cannot cross over. There are some things you should never do that is in the name of even, even in the gospel. I'll give you some examples here. In the New Testament, come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The potential problem with I become all things to all men is to say that we'll do anything, anything to have a chance to give people the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Did you know? Did you know? But the Apostle Paul himself did not give everyone whatever they wanted to believe. Look at this. And he's the very one who says, I become all things to all men. That might by me save some. First Corinthians chapter 1, come down to verse 22. Now listen and watch very carefully. Verse 22. The Jews, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jews from the very beginning, needed signs to believe. Remember, we're going through the book of Moses on Sunday at Sunday school. The Jews would not believe that God sent Moses unless he did something. He threw down his <coughs> rod turned into a snake and so on. And all the miracles, the signs, the Jews require a sign, but did Paul give them signs to convince them that he had the true gospel? Let's keep reading. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But, you must have put that, I'm not going to give them signs. But, you must have put their, no, even though they demand signs, I'm not giving them what they ask for. He says, but, we do this. We preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. So, he's saying, I'm not going to give them what they want. I'm not going to accommodate them. They need to hear the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Even though they want signs, I'm not going to give them any signs. I maybe could give them signs, but I'm not going to accommodate them. I'm going to tell them what they need to know, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, nor not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And he goes on, base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He says, I'm not going to give them the miracles and signs that they're looking for. They need to know the gospel, and I'm not going to change that. They need to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to give them that. So he denied accommodating them. That's very important to remember. So when it comes to, I become all things to all men, it does not mean you give them what people want. 
They'll give them what they want. They don't need that. They need the truth and being taught, giving it plainly and simply. And he says, uh, we came to you with uh, simplicity of speech, <coughs> not with uh, eloquence. We just told the truth. It's the truth that they need to hear. It's the truth they must believe. And so Paul did not uh, think that he had to accommodate. I've used the word three times now. I have to accommodate people because they feel a certain way about certain things. Now, come to chapter 2. <coughs> chapter 2. <coughs> chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto the testament of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech <coughs> and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is he saying? He's saying, to those intellectuals, I could have used big uh, ten-syllable words. He says, but I didn't do that. I just gave them the simple truth. You need to be born again. You have uh, been born into sin. You need to be born again. You need to be redeemed, etc. He says, I'm not going to stoop to a jargon that is not necessary. That I could, I could say these words, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you what you need to hear. And that's what Paul is saying over here. So... He doesn't become all things to all men by saying he's doing something wrong. He says, I'm going to glorify the gospel, glorify God, glorify the, the word of God. And I'm just going to tell them what they need to have. All right. Now, in verses 3 through 12, he continues. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among you that are among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that came to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God thanks, uh, God ordained before the world unto our glory, verse eight, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit now how does God reveal truth to people it is not by stooping down to the level of the intellectual or the um, ecumenical or the one religion all the same as another religion kind of thing not doing like that or a man on the radio not on the radio but on the internet say he was a new age guy he says let us pray together here's how he prayed he said let us pray together Mother God, Mother God, and he was so, so smiley and so, so nice, so, Mother God, we come to thee, oh Mother, and I could not believe what I was hearing, but he was actually praying to Mother God. Now, can you imagine the, the Paul, the apostle saying, all right, he's, he's got people like them who believe in Mother God. Can you imagine Paul saying, let's pray, Mother God, would he do that? He would never do that. Because though he becomes all things to him, he would not cheapen, he would not bring God down to the level of this group or this group or that group. He would not perform uh, like ACDC or some rapper to reach those who like that kind of music. He would not do that. But people do that because of these verses. They believe it's right. 
And so Paul says, I'm going to tell people the truth. And it's the Spirit of God who takes the Word of God and applies it to the sinner's heart and convicts them. That's what they need to have. Conviction by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come by accommodating. Fourth time I use that word. Accommodating people's feelings and needs. I have to just tell them the truth in kindness. That's what people expect. Be kind to them. Respectful. That's what they need to have. That's what we need to be. But we cannot change the gospel because these people might be offended. Paul says, okay, now that the chips fall where they may. Now, if they don't take it, they don't accept it, then it's on them. It's over them. It's on their bird. It's on their field. It's on their conscience. They're accountable enough for rejecting the gospel again and again. As to me, I was just telling the truth. I'm respectful to them. I'm respectful to the culture. I'm respectful to where they came from. I'm the back of the whole thing. But I will not change the gospel to accommodate their feelings. So there is a difference here. I become all things to them. It does not mean you cheapen, you reduce the need to be saved or who Jesus is. There's only one Savior, only one way to the Father. It has never changed. It's not going to be changing. And unless you get born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So all of those things cannot be altered to accommodate people. So come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Those are some examples and some of the other commentary by the Apostle Paul and several wrote these passages about all things to all men. So I also need to tell you this, and I, I seem to be emphasizing this quite a bit last Wednesday, this tonight again, that um, you need to be cautious and careful about pointing out people's sins uh, to themselves or confronting people. Uh, it is not our job to all be going around with the spiritual machine gun and all shooting people down because we have the truth and they don't we're not the ones who are going to be we're not we're not it is not up to us to always correct people uh, careful it's not our business to always correct people when they say something wrong or when they are they believe something wrong what you want to do is give them the truth so let's let's apply it now what we've learned so far to give them the truth they have to listen to you to listen to you, they have to somewhat respect you. They have to somewhat like you. They have to somewhat think that you are going to be truthful with them and that you're not a hypocrite kind of thing like that. And so when it comes time to, what do you mean by that? Now, let's say, for example, the mother God thing. Oh, I heard this man pray the most beautiful prayer. What was it? What was it? You're in your mind straight. What is it? Oh, he prayed Mother God. That was so that was so touching. It touched my heart so much. Oh, my heart. My heart was so touched. Oh, my heart was so touched. Why was it so touched? Oh, because he sounded like a man so full of compassion. Oh, so nice. Now, what are you, you going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that all you're going to say? Maybe you should say, well, that's interesting. Is God a female? What's a, that's a pretty interesting question. Is God a female? Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. You said this guy prayed a mother God. So is God a mother? How do we know? Well, you're not accusing anybody of anything, are you? You're still being respectful. You're asking a sincere question. You may know the answer already. But you want them to listen to you. You want to have a chance to give them truth. Is God really a mother? Well, I don't know, but it sounded nice. Well, I wonder how we can know the truth about what God is like. Oh, how can we know the truth about what God's like? Where do we go to find out? I don't know. 
She, your friend says, I don't know. Uh, you say, well, you know, I know it's very difficult to find out sometimes because so many people say different things. Like this guy is so nice when he prayed Mother God. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. It's like trying to find the right kind of life insurance. It's so hard to know which one is the right kind. So I think, I think a good source to start is the Bible. The Bible? You believe in the Bible? And you say this, oh no, I was just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 you say, it's a good place to start. It won't be, any, it, won't, it won't do any harm to check it out. You wanna check it out? You wanna see what it says about God? Now you may not be able to explain everything, but you can say, well, you know, I can call Pastor Nathan to help you, Brother Hugh to help you, and even our pastor can help you. He knows a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. He knows a little bit. So that's simply an explanation and an example of how you can approach someone without, you know, being a compromiser. In other words, don't always correct somebody so harshly all the time. Now let's let's think this through, and then I'll move on to the end of this chapter. Let's think this through. To point out people's sins, to criticize all sinners for their sins, it, they'll come to a place for that. But should you be the one to always correct people for their sins and for their wrong thinking, wrong, wrong opinions and things? You know, opinions are just opinions about different things. But uh, of course, the more serious thing is when you're wrong about the Bible and about salvation. That's very serious. But uh, even then, you have to be kind of thoughtful and considerate about how you're going to approach someone when they're so wrong. Because after all, if you come on like a, you've got to see this. There's a demonstration about how certain models of cars will save your life when hit by a truck or a bus at certain speeds, 30 miles an hour. And there's a wall here and there's a car here and the truck comes and hits this, a little Audi, crushes it. Percentage of survival rate, zero. Another car, Ford Explorer, hits it, uh, the, cat, the, the front seat is still there, but it's all warped in the back. Percentage of survival, 55%. So they're trying to tell you certain cars, certain models are built to endure a collision at a certain speed. What? Anyway, um, I'm saying that to tell you this. You don't want to come across to somebody and just cream them. <laughs> you want to just cream them. You could be totally right, but that's not necessary. So be wise in your talking to people and don't believe, don't feel like you have to always be the hammer. Okay? You always have to be the hammer. You don't have to be the hammer. Now, there are some coaches in, in football, they don't ever raise their voice. But they sure got a mean look. There's some coaches, they're always screaming and yelling and hollering. Uh, George Allen for the Washington Redskins, decades ago, George Allen, he would just, Arr! and then, of course, my famous all time favorite baseball manager was. Um, Earl Weaver, Baltimore Orioles, 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five. and uh, he, 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 when he just scored the umpire, he would get out of the dugout, he would scream at them, and he would come out of the dugout and get in their face, and the umpire would say, you're out of here. You know what he'd do? He'd take his cap and turn it backwards, so he'd get close to the umpire's face. And I can imagine those guys, they got some, uh, they're chewing on peanuts all the time, so they got peanut breath. And it's so funny to watch. Don't be like those guys. You don't need to be like those people. You don't have to be like them, okay? Now, all things to all men does not mean you uh, justify bad reasons or bad methods to reach. Now let's prove that. Chapter nine, look at verse number 24, 924. 
It seems like Paul switches gears here because he now talks about sports. You like sports? Don't like sports? It's in the Bible. Know ye not that they was running a race? Greek games. Know ye not that they was running a race? Run all, but one receiveth the prize. One winner. So run that ye may obtain. So run so that you win. In other words, participate in sports so that you win. No one practices a game, practices in football for a game uh, to lose. What fool would say, we're gonna play, um, we're gonna play the, the whatever team and uh, let's practice gentlemen so we can lose. What crazy coach are you? Let's practice uh, our, our piece, our, our, our music for this orchestra so that we make all kind of mistakes, so that the people boo us. No one does that to be ridiculed or to be to be mocked. No, you, you practice to win. He says you run to win the race, which is not wrong. Sometimes people say, well, uh, winners are just all even maniac. Not always true. Paul says run to win. Verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery, first place, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now watch carefully, verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. Verse 27, but I keep my body and bring it unto subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he's saying, uh, when it comes to the previous verses about all things to all men, he says, that is true. Consideration for others, their background, their feelings, everything else, but we don't do things wrong to do right. If we run in a race and we don't do it right, we're disqualified. If you're running the race, coming first, but we violated a rule of this race, we might get the cheers, we cross the finish line first, but we're not get the trophy because we did something wrong in the race. So we don't do something wrong in a race of getting people to Christ by doing something to accommodate them that is not right to do. I hope that makes some sense to you. And so salvation is the most important thing, and we hope to have a chance to give people the gospel and uh, to have a chance to give people the gospel, we have to become all things to all men without, without making things cheap. Okay. Uh, when I was passing out trash to call on the co-op kids after, uh, was it last week, Thursday? Uh, you know what I said to them? Here's what I said to them. Uh, we would like to turn green, turn green, so they come across. I'm like that. I'm like a shark ready to eat some fish. <laughs> I'm standing over there with my little hat, you know, and my, my little tracks over here. And I got them all ready. I got them all ready to pass out. I said, hey, hey. I said, hey. I said, hey. Now, I don't tell adults, hey. But I told kids, hey. I got something for you. Uh, I think I may have said, I got something free for you. They said, free. Because they're heading toward seven. Free. I said, yeah, free. Look, this is about Halloween, okay? Read that. Don't lose it, okay? It costs us money, so don't lose it. Okay, okay, okay. I just keep on like that. And then uh, some tough-looking seventh graders can you believe this tough looking seventh graders come walk like yeah, yeah. they talk with a big track i say hey big guy come here he said you talking to me i said you're the big guy right he says yeah <laughs> so i talk to them like they're kids because they are now if i talk to an adult i don't say hey big guy come here that's disrespectful mm -hmm. if i talk to a senior citizen elderly woman i say hey oh bad come here <laughs> i would never say that i would never say that so you have to become all things to all men now, um, if somebody, so I hope you understand the, the point of one, okay? So we should be good witnesses, be wise witnesses, and not be 
uh, not cut ourselves off from a chance to talk to people about Christ. Now I'm going to go to Farrington. If not tomorrow, maybe Friday. I called just today to find out the hours went to get out of school. Uh, I think today was two. I couldn't go today. But tomorrow's one ten. I think or something like the bell goes off for school. I talked to the registrar, so I got the official word. And I'm going to go at some part of Farrington on the public streets where I can stand. And I'm going to get some tracks out to these tough high school kids. But not all of them are tough. Some of them are walking by themselves with another friend. They're not always in a gang. I'm going to try to avoid that gang type crowd. I'm going to go to the one or the two, three people like that. Because they're the type that are not, you know, got an attitude. But they're kids, you know. And so I'm going to try to do that. And so uh, I'll talk to them in a certain way. See? And so... Whatever you, whatever you do as far as witnessing, have some wisdom about things. Talking to a coworker, gotta be real careful. I'm real careful on Uber. I don't have a lot of liberty, but I, I try to at least, you know, have a chance to get on the track. That Dorothy girl, she was a real talker all the way home, 15 minutes all the way home. And I was glad about that because I, I can I talk when they talk. If they're quiet, I don't talk. Uh, one guy from Kapa'a Quarry over to town, uh, to Waikiki uh, the other day, Quiet, halfway up, then we get to the other side, he starts talking. A guy in the army. And uh, so we're talking, talking, talking. And this this girl, Dorothy, uh, somehow we got a bot. Uh, we're talking about something, and I'm waiting, I'm, waiting, I'm hoping for a chance to say something, see? And you have to be careful. You can't just, okay? If you die right now, walk, jump in the car, you die right now, you're going to heaven. I'm a bad driver, you know? My brakes not working, so we're coming down the poly. Too bad. You got to make sure that you have life insurance, spiritual life. You can't. No, no, no. And so, wait for that baiting thing and talking and so different things. And I said, uh, yeah, uh, I like music. I like you know acoustic guitar. I love the violin things. I like orchestra music like that. Oh, I like music too. I said, you do, you do. Is that right? She said, yeah, I used to sing in a choir. I said, you used to sing in a choir. So you go to what an open door. Yeah. You used to sing in the choir. Yeah. Interesting. What church? Now, I, before I said that, I said, well, that's good. You sang in the choir. So you like to sing? Oh, I like to sing. What church? On oh, the Mormon church. I said, is that right? See, I didn't say, that church? <laughs> the Mormon church? You know that Mormon church. They believe all kind of... I didn't do that. It wasn't necessary. But if you thought you're the one that's going to just sock it to them, you know, bang, 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 bang. You might say this. I just said, well, that's interesting. How long have you been going? She says, since I was born. I said, really, how do you know? You don't ask people their age, but I said, how do you know? 25, I said, is that right? Well, that's really interesting, because it is. <laughs> we're moving along, we're talking, you know, and, um, well, you know, um, she said, well, now, do you go to church? What am I gonna say? <laughs> See, now, she initiates everything. I'm just, you know, going with it, right? I'm hoping to talk to her, and she says, uh, what church are you? I say, well, um, I go to this church, Independent Baptist Church. She said, I didn't say I was the pastor, you know. I just, I go there. I said, oh, yeah. She said, uh, yeah, um, I've never been to Baptist Church. I said, well, let me give this to you. And uh, there's an address, there's a web, you know, that. I said, you're welcome to come visit us sometime. She said, I haven't been to the Mormon Church since I had to stop going to help my, my dad because he was sick and so on, so on, so on. And, you know, so I'm trying to explain to you, I try to practice what Paul says over here. And you should too, okay? All right, that's enough for tonight. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us wisdom. Help us to practice what we know is so and good. To help people understand the gospel. Have a chance to talk to them.
We pray that you give us wisdom and give us opportunities, Lord, to talk to people about Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.